everybody. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Lights Out Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Josh, and I'm joined in the studio by my brother and producer, Joel. And today we are going to be diving into the Berkshire UFO incident. Now, as you probably can tell, I'm a big fan of UFO stories, and this is one of those stories that I honestly, truly believe happened. And I'm also curious if you guys would like to see more different types of UFO stories, like not all of them are going to be alien abduction stories because, you know, there's only so many alien abduction stories out there that have some sort of, you know, credibility to them or enough details to actually do an episode about. But I don't really want that to stop me from covering UFO stories because there's tons of UFO sightings and just incidents revolving around UFO sightings that I find very interesting. And the Berkshire UFO incident is definitely one of those. But I'm also interested if you guys would like to see some episodes more on alien races as well as, you know, secret space program and different things along the lines of, you know, aliens and UFOs that doesn't necessarily, you know, have a ton of basis in reality where we have a ton of, you know, facts and evidence to really back it up. But I'm just interested to see if you'd be willing to listen to some episodes just more you know, talking about aliens and UFOs in a more hypothetical sense, you know, like what if, you know, aliens are real and, you know, there's these certain types of aliens out there and what would that be like and what would they actually look like and all that. So definitely let me know what you guys would think about that. So if you're wondering how you could support Lights Out, one of the ways that you can help us is if you're somebody that only watches the show on YouTube or vice versa, you only listen on iTunes. But specifically, if you only watch the show on YouTube, if you wouldn't mind going to iTunes and just subscribing to the show there, even if you never listen to it, it does help us out quite a bit. So would really appreciate it if you are one of those people out there that only watches the show on YouTube, that if you would take that minute it takes to go onto iTunes or you know, if you're a Spotify person, go on Spotify and follow us there. It definitely would help us out. As well as if you are a listener on iTunes and you haven't checked out YouTube, we definitely uh, would love to have you over on YouTube as well because we actually put out a visual version of the show every week where not only can you see Joel and I, but also you get to see a lot of different media. You know, like last week we covered the exorcism of Annalise Michelle and yeah, there were some uh, definitely frightening images in there. So if you're ever wondering, you know, what is he talking about? What does that look like? Definitely check out the show on YouTube because we always put... Uh, lots of different media in there for you guys to look at. But let's not waste any more time and let's get right into the Berkshire UFO incident. But let's begin by talking about Berkshire. Now, Berkshire is a region in Western Massachusetts, and I've never been there before, but based upon what I've seen online, as well as in the show Unsolved Mysteries on Netflix, they actually did an episode on the Berkshire UFO incident. And it's kind of pretty much what inspired this episode because after I watched it, I was like, oh God, I got to Got to look into this more and share this with all of you. So the Berkshire region, though, is just a truly beautiful place. You know, rolling hills, forests. I mean, it's just absolutely beautiful scenery. And a lot of people like to go out there to enjoy the great outdoors. You know, there's scenic hiking trails, camping, and there's just tons of cozy little small towns that make up this area called the Berkshires. Now, what's interesting about Berkshire is that the whole county itself is actually known for UFO sightings. There's been at least 10 different reports of strange unidentified objects that have been documented between 1908 and 2003. However, the most famous and well-documented sighting ever to take place took place on September 1st, 1969. And one of the individuals that was a prime witness to this event was Thomas Reed. 
but it wasn't only him that witnessed this UFO sighting that day, but there was actually dozens of different witnesses that also saw the same thing. Now we're going to begin by talking a little bit more about Thomas or Tom as he's nicknamed, but we're going to talk a little bit more about him because he is kind of one of the main focal points in this particular story because he definitely had a very interesting experience on September 1st, 1969. So Tom and his family had relocated from New York City to Sheffield, Massachusetts, which is a small town in Berkshire County. And they were used to a more fast-paced life of the big city, so they had a hard time adjusting to the quiet small town that they moved to. And Tom felt like he never really belonged there, and he didn't really enjoy living on his family's horse farm, even though he had a special connection to the horses and all the animals. And the only other person he was really close with was his brother, Matthew. Now, before this famous 1969 incident, Tom and Matthew had two separate similar experiences on their family's property. In 1966, Tom was six years old and he was in his bedroom when he said he saw strange figures in the hallway and mysterious lights. And the next thing he knew, he was in the woods near his house with Matthew and they were looking at a UFO on the ground. He said it was about 60 feet around and shaped like a turtle shell. And the craft had no visible windows and no landing gear. And the outside of it was made of multiple panels that were completely sealed shut. And then he said there was a sudden flash of light and Tom experienced another lapse in memory. And before he knew it, both him and Matthew were now inside of this UFO. Now what's interesting is that the only memory that the boys had from this particular incident was that while aboard this ufo on a wall they said they saw an image of a willow tree which was being projected onto it and then before they knew it they were back home and they were unharmed but that was literally the extent of their memory from this particular ufo incident and then in the following year in 1967 tom and matthew had a similar experience and again this experience started very much the same as the last one with strange lights and then they heard loud sounds like doors being slammed shut And then their next memories that they had were that they were back inside of this UFO that they had been taken in the previous year. Meanwhile, their mother, Nancy, noticed that her sons weren't in the house. And of course, you know, being their mom, she went and looked for them everywhere on the property, but they were nowhere to be found. So she decided to search for them on horseback around the property in order to cover more ground. And when she still couldn't find the boys, she started to panic and headed home to see if they had come back. Tom's next memory after being inside the UFO was that he was then lying in his driveway. And it was at that point that his frantic mother picked him up off the ground. Now, these strange and bizarre experiences set the stage for a much more vivid and intense encounter that would occur just a few years later. And that leads us to the very famous Berkshire UFO incident, which occurred on Labor Day, September 1st, 1969. Now, this particular Labor Day was very hot, and that night it was very humid, and the Reed family decided to leave the family's diner in order to eat dinner somewhere else. After their meal, Nancy drove her two sons, Tom and Matthew, and their grandmother back to the diner to close it up. Nancy was a single mom at the time, and she supported her family by running the diner. And it was around 8.30 p.m. when the diner was closed up for the night that they decided to head home. And again, Nancy drove the two boys piled into the back seat of the family station wagon. And obviously the grandmother didn't drive. So she sat in the front passenger seat. Nancy really enjoyed taking the more scenic routes on the way home because I mean, they're in a scenic area 
And even though it was completely dark out, she decided to take a shortcut on Route 7 across a quaint covered bridge that crossed the Housatonic River. At the time, the river was heavily polluted by discharge waste from the GE plant in the nearby Pittsfield, Massachusetts. Tom handed his brother a fireball candy and their grandmother turned around just in time to see bright lights coming up from behind the trees. And as they drove through the covered bridge, a bright light suddenly appeared over the water and it pierced through the bottom boards of the bridge. It was that bright. And when they came out from under the bridge, they saw a sphere of self-contained white light about 100 yards from the station wagon. And the glowing sphere didn't project light. It just held it inside. So you got to think for a second, this is literally just a giant orb of light that is not emitting any light from it. So it's not actually lighting up the area around it, but instead it's just like almost like a fireball that's containing everything within. And the sphere was over the water and it rose up over two stories high. Two poles of light shot down from either side. And then the poles of light started to retract into the sphere and then dissolved. And then the sphere started moving through the sky in the same direction that they were driving. And it moved in an otherworldly way, as if it were stuck in slow motion. Tom, who at the time was only nine years old, was completely fixated on this sphere of white light. Matthew, on the other hand, was just kind of looking all around. But he was the first to spot this orange sphere of light. And this orange sphere just looked like it was underwater as it hovered in place. And it stayed perfectly still. Nancy continued driving until she reached the other side of the trees and pulled over, and she was visibly shaken by what she was experiencing. By now, the white light contained within the sphere bled through, and it started lighting up the inside of their station wagon. At this point, no one in the station wagon said a word. They couldn't believe what they were seeing. And what was interesting that they remembered is that everything around them got deathly quiet. The windows of their station wagon were open but they could no longer hear the sounds of wind or crickets or water. It was as if a switch had been turned off on all the sounds of the world. That's, that's very eerie if you think about it. Not only are you seeing this unknown UFO that also happens to be this sphere of light just hovering in front of you, but also whatever it's doing or whatever it's emitting is actually causing the entire environment to react to it to a point where it's almost like it's creating a dead zone around it where nothing is happening. There's absolutely no noise. So I can only imagine how not only shocked and amazed you would be to look at this thing, but also how probably scared you would be to wonder what was going to happen to you next. Cause you've, you know, obviously have never experienced something like this before. So you're just kind of there in awe, you know, you're just kind of wondering what's going to happen next and frozen all at the same time. And then what's interesting is that the atmosphere seemed to change. It was as if Tom and his family were all underwater, they said. Then they heard a faint tapping underneath the station wagon, and it sounded like small stones gently tapping under the fender. Nancy was the first to see the UFO, and it looked like a huge turtle shell about as long as a football field with lights underneath it, and it hovered over the fields on their left. The shell had various lines and patterns all around it, and it was partly colored a goldish bronze. It had a large band around the middle, like a huge tire that made the midpoint much wider than the top and bottom. As they watched in awe, it felt as if time were moving more slowly, 
and what they perceived wasn't happening in real time. Now, my analysis of this is that I do believe this was some type of anti-gravity craft, or perhaps this was even potentially some type of biological entity, whether you know whether you want to call it an alien or you want to call it some type of I mean, maybe it's even some sort of spirit. You know, we know that spirits often can move in orbs or appear as orbs of light. So perhaps this was something, you know, spiritual in a sense. But to me, what I think is happening is whatever this object is, is actually bending space and time in this reality. And that's why everything is sort of going in slow motion because they're kind of trapped in this bubble that it's created around it as it's hovering there it's literally bending time and space around it and they just happen to be inside of this area where this is happening so they're completely that's why they're experiencing these sensations now you have to remember this is 1969 so technology wasn't very advanced at that point And the family actually owned a black and white TV, which was one of the most technologically advanced things that they owned. And so none of them had ever seen or even imagined a display of lights like they were staring at now. So this thing was emitting all these almost like a light show off of it. Very, very bright LED lights that they'd never seen before. It's crazy to think about that people had black and white TVs only, like there was no color. So to see what i i kind of think of as like a display of led lights or you know like a laser show or something like that happening in front of them must have been just truly amazing and then they said the pressure around them seemed to change everything became calm and then they said it felt like time seemed to stop the two spheres of light and the ufo formed a triangle around the station wagon and then there was a massive explosion of light and then at the same time that this explosion happened there was almost an eruption of all the different sounds of the night that had seemingly stopped moments before. They noted that the sounds of the night, which were just crickets and frogs, all of a sudden became a deafening roar. Like normally when you think of crickets at night or, you know, frogs, you know, it's just kind of subtle sounds that are happening in the background. But after this prolonged science, it seemed like this just rose out of nowhere. And then the light became blinding and seemed to reflect off every surface. It was as if it were suddenly day instead of night. An amber glow rose up and lit up both sides of the dirt road. And then everything went blank. Tom's next memory was waking up inside a massive indoor space. It was like an emptied out Walmart or an airplane hangar. The space was lit from above with lights that looked like fluorescent tubing. And he was seated on some sort of bench that was very low to the ground and he felt like there were other people around him. There were strange swirl marks on the floor and everything else was white. Tom was very confused and disoriented, as you can imagine, and it was very hard for him to focus, as he wasn't sure if he had been taken inside the UFO or somewhere completely different. Tom was then grabbed from behind by something hard, and it wrapped around his whole arm and pushed him up and forward. And as he was shoved along, he heard distant voices. One of them sounded like his mother calling for him. Next, he was led through a circular hallway and through large doorways that didn't have any doors. The hallway then led to a Y configuration that seemed to be built to handle heavy foot traffic. 
and these hallways had sharp turns and ceilings that were 10 to 12 feet high. Whoever or whatever was pushing him along stayed behind him. He was then led into a room with one rounded glass wall. Fluorescent tube lights lined the ceiling as well, and there was nothing high-tech in the room at all, just a few carts and a table. Tom was then ushered onto the table and sat there waiting. And obviously, not knowing what's going on and just having to sit still on this table made Tom very nervous, and he went back and forth from feeling calm and very scared. So as Tom's sitting there, he's kind of staring at the glass wall. And then suddenly, he ran from the room into a larger area, where he was then taken back into the room almost immediately, in which he then quickly realized that there seemed to be no way to escape. And while he was kept in this place, he saw two bizarre creatures. They were standing and facing a wall. Tom knew right away that these were not humans. They looked like very large insects or ants. They were about four and a half to five feet tall, which was taller than Tom at the time. They had large football-shaped heads with one point at the front where their mouths were, and then the other behind them. Their bodies were shaped like a teardrop, and they had stick-like arms and legs that looked like bamboo. Their bodies and limbs were mushroom-colored, and their heads were a shade of orange. They had round eyes that looked like marbles. The creatures didn't harm him, but he felt very disturbed to be in their presence. They didn't make any sounds or even try to communicate with him. But somewhere else in this space, Tom's brother Matthew was sitting on a similar table in a similar room. And they've even theorized that it could have been the exact same room, except at different points in time. Which goes back to my point that whatever this craft was, was actually bending space and time and stopping it, or making it appear like time had stopped. Matthew had a club foot, so he wore a brace on his right foot to help him walk. And while he was on the table, he felt a strange vibration and then something putting pressure on his clubbed foot. Tom and Matthew's mother and grandmother, however, had no memory of being in a similar space or on the UFO. And then before they knew it, the four family members were back inside their station wagon as if nothing had happened. However, the ignition and the lights were off. Tom's grandmother actually woke up first and she was sitting in the driver's seat. And Nancy was in the passenger seat next to her, which was obviously opposite to how they were sitting before. So how did that happen? And the boys were in the back seat. And by this point, the glowing spheres of light and the UFO were gone. She tried to wake them up, but no one responded. Even though their grandmother never drove, she had no choice but to go back down the road for help. She ended up stopping outside a small general store 1.2 miles away and got out. And when she slammed the door shut, Tom woke up. Matthew's head was resting on his legs. When his mother and brother didn't respond, he jumped out and followed his grandmother into the store. She was going inside to get help, but she ignored the clerk. Instead, she walked straight to the back of the store. Tom kept following her and didn't know what she was doing. He pulled on her arm and said, Nana, Nana, but he couldn't get her attention. And after a few minutes, she walked back to the station wagon and Tom followed her. By now, Nancy and Matthew had woken up and didn't know how they had gotten to the store. They realized that the store was about to close because it was almost 11 p.m. And it was at that point that they realized it had been over two hours since they saw the glowing sphere on the river, and none of them remembered that much time passing. They then proceeded to drive home in a daze, and they were overwhelmed by what had happened and awestruck by what they had seen. Nancy didn't remember ever being afraid, but she agreed with the rest of her family that it was as if they had been drugged. She had always believed that there was more to the universe than just life on earth, and that there were a lot of things that humans just can't understand. 
And while this experience was disturbing and difficult in many ways, she has said that she feels fortunate to have witnessed something that few people will ever experience. Tom has had a similar experience, feeling privileged to have been a part of something bigger and more important than his life alone. Now, what's interesting about the Berkshire UFO incident is that the Reed family were not the only witnesses to this incident. Over 40 residents from multiple towns in Berkshire County had their own paranormal experiences with the spheres of light in the hovering UFO that Labor Day weekend. Many of the witnesses and people who experienced strange occurrences were children. Tom Warner was 10 years old at the time, and he was at home with his babysitter Debbie coloring. He stopped coloring and looked out the window, and a voice said to him, you need to go home now. So literally, a voice just coming out of nowhere is telling Tom this. As a kid, you can only imagine how scared that would make you. He then said he felt an invisible force coming from within his body that compelled him to jump up and run as fast as he could outside. He then told Debbie that the voice of God, because I mean, what other voice is there that he would know of, told him to leave. And then he darted out the door. And what's interesting is that he said as he ran, he felt like he was flying. Debbie then followed him outside and started running after him. And when she made it outside, it was just in time to see a bright beam of light shining down on Tom. And what was interesting is that Tom was trapped by this beam of light and he was running in place. So he was literally sprinting, but not going anywhere. And then within seconds of Debbie seeing Tom running in place in this beam of light, he disappeared. I don't know why, but that reminds me so much of nightmares I have at times. You know, how you're running away from someone or something. That's so true. That's a great point. Yeah. And you're just not getting anywhere. It's just like, uh, those are like the worst dreams. So maybe he is having a nightmare. It could be possible that this is just all a dream. Yeah, definitely. That maybe, you know, I've definitely had that sensation in, in dreams where you're trying to run away from something. I've had so many of these uh, nightmares where I'm running from something, whether it's a person trying to kill me or it's some type of creature. And when I was younger, Mm -hmm. it would be like rabid dogs. I'd be chasing (laughs) and I could never like fully get away from them. You know, it's almost like you're running through quicksand or something, you know, you're like slowly going. And it's interesting that Tom was essentially running in place in this beam of light coming from above. What's also interesting with this event with Tom is that his neighbor, Jane Shaw also watched this whole thing unfold. Seven minutes later, they said the beam reappeared and Debbie ran to the side of the house and saw Tom lying flat on the ground and he still couldn't move until the beam of light retracted and dissolved. And according to Tom, during those seven minutes that he was gone, he was taken aboard the UFO where he was kept in a room with other kids and he believed the invisible force he felt was a fear of mental telepathy as some other being was trying to communicate with him. One of the kids in the room was 14-year-old Melanie Kirschdorfer, and Melanie remembers seeing Tom there as well. That night, she was with her parents and her sister, and the family had gotten ice cream and was enjoying it by Lake Mansfield. And suddenly, they all saw a blinding light and a hovering UFO over the water. Melanie and her sister both had a terrible feeling and wanted to get out of there, but their father was curious and wanted to follow it in their car. Meanwhile, Melanie and her sister are screaming at him to stop, and before she knew it, she had blacked out. And when Melanie woke up, she was levitating inside a large room with other kids, and she even recognized several of them as classmates. 
but she didn't know Tom Warner at the time. Melanie watched in horror as kids disappeared before her eyes, one by one. They all left. She blacked out again and woke up next to the lake. Her family was gone, however, and she had to find her own way back home. What's interesting about Melanie is that later on after all this was over, and I think it was even years later, when Melanie finally met Tom Warner, she said that she felt an instant connection to him, almost like they were siblings. All this is very interesting to me, and I don't know quite what to make of it. Because I think from a skeptical perspective, a lot of people would say that these were just kids and that these kids were just either having dreams or, you know, this is some type of, you know, fabric of their imagination or something that they didn't really have these experiences. However, not all of the witnesses of this UFO event were impressionable children. A woman named Jane Green, who was a local business owner and a practical person and was even skeptical of anything related to the paranormal also witnessed this event. Jane was driving with a friend from Great Barrington when suddenly a blinding bright light appeared and they could barely see anything. At first, Jane assumed there must have been an accident up ahead, thinking the lights were coming from police cars and emergency vehicles. But as they kept driving, she saw a large UFO hovering in the sky and it was shaped like a saucer. It had no windows or doors and she couldn't see an end to it from either side. But what they did notice is that There was clearly no motor, no exhaust, so it couldn't have been an airplane, and it made no sounds. So Jane decided to pull over, and they both got out of the car. And they watched as this UFO hovered for a few seconds, and then it rose up and silently darted off over the mountains. And not knowing what else to do, the two women got back into their car and then kept driving to Jane's house. They were so awestruck at what they had just seen that they barely said a word to each other the whole drive home. And when she stopped the car again, Jane looked at her friend and said, what just happened? When Jane told her husband, he said she should call the radio station WSBS. Jane knew the director of the station, and when she told him what had happened, he joked that she and her friend must have been drinking. Then he said it could have been swamp gas. (laughs) Wow. I don't know. I've never heard of swamp gas appearing to look like a flying saucer. What the fuck even is swamp gas? I don't even, Have you even know heard of that before. Never swamp gas. What the hell? But Jane knew that what she had witnessed was not of this world. Jane's friend has since passed away, but she's always been thankful that other people witnessed what she saw. And as a lifelong skeptic, she knew that no one would believe her if she was the only witness. Since this night, Jane has felt guilty that she would have just brushed the story off as bullshit if she hadn't seen it with her own eyes. That night, the radio station received dozens of calls from people who saw the bright lights and hovering UFO. No one described what they saw as a UFO or alien spaceship, but they all described eerily similar details of what they witnessed. The station reported on the sightings as a news story, but the next day, they followed the standard protocol and everything was deleted. Was that by chance or on purpose? That's the real question. All of the witnesses claimed to experience a change in atmospheric pressure like they were underwater and then everything going silent all of a sudden, including this sensation of feeling like time has been lost or time has stood still. Now, this UFO event completely shook this region of Massachusetts. People were confused and the people who didn't see anything that night didn't know what to make of their friends and neighbors. 
but what we do know is that every witness described disturbingly similar details. Kids at the Sheffield Center School who were aboard the UFO drew pictures of what they had seen, including Tom Reed. Tom remembers at least 20 drawings from his fourth grade class alone, and these sketches hung on their class board for weeks. The kids couldn't stop talking about what happened. One of them was even the child of the chief of police. Tom and Matthew Reed said they suffered from nightmares about that night, so much so that they slept together in the living room afraid of being alone in their rooms. Shit, I would be too after that. Oh yeah, me too. That's fucking terrifying. They knew something strange and unexplainable had happened to them, but they didn't know what it was or what it meant. It just left them feeling anxious and upset, just like all the adults around them. Tom felt distant and disconnected from other kids and from things he used to enjoy. He always had a special bond with the horses on his family's farm, but he believed that the connection to horses and other animals were heightened by this experience he had had. Now let's talk a little bit about the aftermath of this UFO event. This is probably one of the most interesting parts of the story. And that is that even though there is over 40 direct witnesses that night of this UFO, there's no official records that exist to prove it. The radio station manager asked anyone who witnessed the strange sightings that night to call in and tell their story but they didn't even record the broadcast. They didn't even save the recording from that night. Also, the local police blotter didn't record anything out of the ordinary for that night, even though there was all these people that claimed they had seen this UFO. Which is so ironic because you would think if this many people have seen the same UFO, that they would be eager you know, to take all the records, all the notes on you know, what everyone's seen, just as evidence to have, but it's almost like there's some type of authority out there, you know, approaching these people who are dealing with the public like that, letting them know like, Hey, if you keep any information uh, that we don't want to expose to the public, then I mean, what, that's not like they're going to kill them for that, but it could be like some serious consequences, right? Yeah. It seems to me that there is a major cover up of this event. That's what I truly believe mm-hmm. is that there's something really happened that night that they did not want anybody to know about. And when people started coming out and talking about their experiences and how wild it was, I think this really scared some people out there that did not want anybody to know about this. It's either a cover up or, you know, you got to remember it's 1969. So talk about UFOs and aliens wasn't, you know, socially acceptable. So people were probably like, oh, that's just a bunch of fucking hooey. You know, like, what are you talking (laughs) about? You're crazy, boy. Like, yeah, it was a nightmare. Is that, you know, like people like to dismiss paranormal activity all the time. So, you know, it could have been just everybody dismissed it. But I, but I don't know. I, I think something, you know, something else is going on here because there's not any record of it at all. And it's almost like it's been, completely erased from everywhere it could have been recorded there's nothing because even the son of the sheffield chief of police claimed that his father conducted multiple private investigations into the ufo sightings because come on there was way too many eyewitness accounts and everybody's eyewitness accounts were very similar so how can you ignore that unfortunately the reed family did not do well after this incident the family members were harassed and sometimes even followed Tom and Matthew were even bullied in school. They got into fights and the other kids mocked them relentlessly, which that to me right there 
proves my point that there is definitely a cover up happening. The fact that the Reed family was literally followed, they said, who's following them? You know, it makes you wonder. People fought with them at their diner even, and the police had to start hanging around in order to make sure fights didn't get out of hand. And the community was split. It was divided into believers and non-believers, and the two sides definitely did not get along. Less than a year later, Nancy ended up selling the diner and moved her family to Great Barrington, Massachusetts. And despite the number of people that seemed to want to discredit the Reed family, they really were credible witnesses. I mean, Tom's father was a prominent attorney and college professor and even held public office. Tom's grandmother was a governess for President Roosevelt's grandson, William Roosevelt, and lives on his property in Colorado, actually. Tom went on to have a successful career of his own, including founding the International Model and Artist Group, Miami Model South Beach, and in fact, he believes his career started when he asked his mother to buy him a camera. He wanted to be able to take pictures and document any future incidents, but they were essentially run out of town. Like they, you know, they weren't able to even stay there because the amount of ridicule that they got. And you got to think like any, with any of these paranormal stories or UFO events, like why would people, prominent people that have, you know, all the successful careers have all these things going for them? Why would they just come out and make up shit and make up the most wild story about being aboard a UFO and seeing this, you know, sphere of light just come out of nowhere and abduct Tom? And why would they make that up? Like, why would you jeopardize, you know, your life and your credibility by just making this story up? It's not like, the story is going to make you rich. It's not like it's going to really help you in any way. So to the skeptics out there that are like, this is just bullshit. It's made up story. I ask you, why would they make this up? What would be the purpose behind it? It's not like it gave them a ton of attention. It's not like everybody knows about this story. And they knew going into it that the moment they start speaking about like a UFO with anything alien related that. Yeah, obviously, they're going to receive some ridicule over that. But since they did see it, I mean, if I saw a UFO, I wouldn't want to just keep it to myself. You know, I would just naturally want to like share it with everybody and let them know like, hey, look what I saw and, you know, just see what they thought about it. Wouldn't you? Yeah, I mean, you would want to tell people about it because you want to, you know, you definitely want validation for your story. I mean, you want people to understand what you went through. You know, and it's not necessarily to try to make people believe what happened to you. You know, it's for your own comfort and your own, you know, sense of feeling like this really happened to me. I mean, it's just like any other traumatic experience you might have in life, whether it be good or bad. You know, you always want to share those experiences with somebody. You know, nobody wants to just bottle that up inside and like forget about it. But some people do do that. And, there was people involved with this that completely bottled it inside and didn't even want to talk about it for years. And even so much so up until this Netflix series, they hadn't said a word to anybody. And this was the first time that they actually came out and started talking about this event. So Tom has kind of become a public spokesperson for what happened in Berkshire in 1969. And he was interviewed in the unsolved mysteries episode on this incident. And what's interesting though, is that they did not go into the details about what happened to Tom. It even remotely suggests that Tom was abducted by aliens at all. And I mean, Tom is very careful about explaining his experience because he doesn't want to say aliens abducted him because he knows that, you know, that carries some, you know, people are going to look at you funny if you say that, but he definitely is very open about, you know, this unexplainable phenomenon that happened to him that night. 
And he's definitely, you know, been a lot more open about it since. What's also interesting, though, is that like his mother, Nancy, Tom has unconventional beliefs about life in the universe. He used to be an altar boy, but after what he experienced, he no longer has that kind of faith. So literally after Tom got abducted by this UFO, it completely changed his life. It changed his outlook on everything, which really makes you believe that he had some type of profound experience where he encountered some type of otherworldly intelligence, so much so that it caused him to completely rethink his entire religious beliefs and his entire outlook on the universe. Tom believes that the earth is sort of a hub for all life and that species on earth could be from other places. He's not sure if these beliefs could explain what him and his family experienced, but he seems comforted by them. Him and his family also chose to focus on the positive aspects of being a part of history, and Tom believes that this shared experience helped bring them closer together. But speaking out about it definitely still has its drawbacks. It's important to note that Tom and his family don't make any money from his publicity, but he does believe it's tarnished their name. He said he doesn't like what comes up when someone Googles his family, but that what they experienced was too important and extraordinary to stay quiet. He also encourages others to come forward and tell their stories as well. His mother, Nancy, rarely spoke about what she witnessed over the years, but she's recently talked more openly about it, including sharing two other UFO sightings she's experienced in Louisiana and Florida. She said other people were with her at those times as well. However, Tom has gone above and beyond to prove his credibility. He even took a polygraph test, which found that he was 99.1% truthful when talking about the event. And even though a polygraph test doesn't really prove anything, because polygraph tests are definitely not the most reliable tests out there, but it's definitely a step in the right direction to help others, you know, believe what he's saying is true. And he feels like it's a, a good step forward. However, back in 2006, Tom got into a car accident and as a result had to have an MRI. And when his MRI scan came back, it was completely clear. So that pretty much, you know, I mean, that doesn't, really explain much but it does at least suggest that there wasn't like you know a tumor or something like that or some severe health condition that may have contributed to you know this experience that he said he had in 1992 the united nations was considering creating a special unit to study ufos and the reed family's attorney brought their experience into the discussion tom's father was even planning to write a book which detailed the family's experiences during and after the event and exactly 14 years to the day after the family's attorney sought to collaborate with the UN, Tom's father died under suspicious circumstances. Again, that's, that's me screams. There is definitely a cover up happening of this event and that there is something else involved or new about this that did not want this to get out. And the only evidence for this event is the eyewitness testimony of those who experienced it. However, the Great Barrington Historical Society Museum still decided to induct Tom Reed's personal account into their archives. The induction was based on Tom's story and written records provided by the radio station that received calls from over 40 witnesses. And for Tom, this was a huge win. It effectively legitimized his account of what happened that night and declared that his story is valid from the perspective of historians. That's great. The events were also validated by the International UFO Museum and Research Center in Roswell, New Mexico where a replica of the UFO redescribed is on display. Tom's story was also the first ever account of a UFO encounter to be inducted into the United States archives as historically significant and true. Tom's account received state citations by Massachusetts Governor Charles D. Barker, the Lieutenant Governor Karen Polito, and the Massachusetts Historical Society. 
And in a 2015 letter from the governor, the Reed family story is officially recognized as an off-world incident. Now, why would the government be so willing to accept this story as true? I mean, they're at least giving it credibility by, you know, inducting it into their historical society and into their archives. Like, clearly, they think there's some truth to it. I mean, they wouldn't just do that for some bullshit made-up story. So clearly, they, they believe it to some extent. What's interesting is that later on in 2018, a spokesperson for the governor said that his signature on the letter was an error. The Great Barrington Historical Society, which had called the account significant and true and formally inducted the story, tried to walk back its official stance as well. Hmm, that's not suspicious at all. Something, I'm telling you, there is something happening here. There is definitely some type of entity that's trying to cover this up. They do not want this to be acknowledged. But Judge Kevin Titus of the 30th District Court signed and sealed the records from the governor and from the Historical Society, making them uncontested lawful documents. In 2015, a group of people who had witnessed the event decided to give themselves the recognition they deserved. Tom Reed spearheaded fundraising efforts to create a monument, and they campaigned for the cause and brought together even more witnesses to help raise money. The group ended up raising enough funds to build a 5,000-pound concrete commemorative monument near the covered bridge where Tom and his family first saw the sphere of light above the river. Cars are no longer allowed to cross this bridge. A historical marker was also added near the bridge and the state seal and governor's citation are prominently displayed. Tom went on to form the nonprofit UFO Monument Park Incorporated, an organization that maintains a small area around the monument. And in 2017, the International UFO Museum in Roswell gave a generous donation to expand the park and add solar lights. The UFO Monument Park has been vandalized on multiple occasions and the supporters always came together to restore the monument. However, in 2019, the town removed the monument claiming that it had been erected on town property. At first, Tom and his group were expected to remove the monument themselves and when they refused, officials took action, claiming the monument was removed at considerable expense to the town. Tom and supporters of the park are fighting to have the monument put back into its rightful place. While the monument was being planned, built, and erected, Tom said that the town had no issues. But officials now claim that the monument violates the town's bylaws. If they allowed it to remain, it sets a precedent for future unlawful structures. When the land was surveyed, it was determined that the monument had been on the town's property. Still, this is a significant sight to many people who are affected by this 1969 UFO incident. And when Tom went back to the site, he said he felt an odd undertone. He said, I physically feel a change. I get uncomfortable. There's an uneasiness, almost an anxiety. Even 50 years later, there's some undertone. Maybe it's emotional memory, but it's uncomfortable, and I don't like it. But for over 50 years, Tom's story has been consistent, and Tom and his family and many others feel inspired and invigorated by what they had experienced together. Local people are more likely to believe the story than to scoff at it. And for those who don't believe in aliens, Many other theories have been suggested. Some believe that the government killed the story, ordering the radio station to destroy evidence and the local news outlets not to report on the account. If the government was testing some top-secret new technology, they wouldn't want the details to get out. This new technology could have been connected to the ongoing space race at the time. If other countries got wind of the United States' advanced technology, it would be a threat to the space program and maybe even national security. Now, here's my problem with that theory. A, 
why would the military be testing top secret technology even remotely in an area where people live and drive around and would clearly see top secret technology that happens to be glowing spheres that are obviously going to be picked up in the night sky. Why the hell would the military do that? They wouldn't. First of all, military doesn't test top secret technology where there's a bunch of fucking people, right? They go out to places like area 51 in the middle of the desert where the likeliness of somebody seeing it is very slim to none. So to me, that kind of just debunks the theory in itself. Plus, if you look at a map, there's really not even a military base where top secret technology could be held even remotely close to this area. So definitely don't think that this was military technology. Could it have been the military trying to cover up the event? Absolutely. Because if there was some sort of unidentified flying object, at this point in time in history, this was still not really public knowledge. You know, people did not know that this is a real phenomenon. So absolutely, they could have tried to cover it up and act like it never happened because chances are in many cases of UFO sightings, the military does pick up things on their radar. I mean, they're constantly monitoring the space above the country and looking for, you know, unknown flying objects flying around. Cause obviously that's a danger to planes and, and, you know, everything else that's flying in the sky. So clearly there was some type of involvement either by the military or some shadowy government organization or group that actively tried to cover up this event. What's also interesting to note is that the moon landing was just a few months before on June 20th, 1969. And many people believe the Berkshire sighting and the timing of it is suspicious. The sighting could have been beings from outer space who are warning or threatening humans to stay on their planet. That's an interesting theory. And while the government has explained away sightings of UFOs by the Navy as drones, weather balloons, or birds, none of these explanations explain what Tom and dozens of other people saw that night. Some people even believe that the sightings in Berkshire in 1969 are all kind of a collective hoax. Everyone in the town was somehow in on this collective lie and have maintained their stories for over 50 years. Highly unlikely. I mean, to pull off a collective hoax like this, this would have already been proved. Plus, how do you explain anything that they saw? How do you explain the lapse in time? How do you explain people literally observing others running in place in a beam of light, time stopping, all these weird phenomena that happened? I don't think a hoax really explains any of it or is even possible. This next theory is just funny. Maybe the water supply of the town was spiked with some type of hallucinogenic drug or substance, or maybe a private business just spiked its bread with, you know, some edibles, some extra THC, a little throw a little LSD in there (laughs) and everybody was just tripping hard. Now, come on. We all know that in order to hallucinate to that point, you got to have some fucking strong ass shit. And the likelihood of a business that doesn't actually get caught doing this, drugging a bunch of people with an hallucinogenic drug that's going to make them trip and see a UFO is just fucking highly unlikely, if not impossible. And there'd be no record of it, right? Right. The only thing that I could think of is like this was some type of covert military operation or some type of CIA experiment or something like that. It's possible. But to me... 
none of these theories add up other than this was a legitimate UFO sighting. Obviously, in any type of story like this or paranormal account, there's always going to be people that believe people are just making up their stories in order for it to get attention or to make money. And I don't know. I mean, maybe there were some people that just kind of jumped on the bandwagon and was like, oh yeah, I saw it too, you know, in order to get some attention from their friends or family, but nobody profited off of this. Nobody got uber rich off of this event. I mean, shit, most of us even know about this at all. So that, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. I mean, nobody's like, oh yeah, I got rich off the Berkshire UFO incident, man. Just told this crazy story and it got picked up for a book and then a movie and then no, <laughs> yeah. nobody did that. Nobody did that at all. And you got to remember that so many people that experienced this independently of each other had pretty much the same story or a similar account of what they experienced. And not only that, their stories haven't changed over the years. And if this whole thing was made up, it's highly likely that someone would have cracked by now and, you know, let us all in on the, the big joke here that this was just a big hoax, but that hasn't happened. And at the end of the day, no one's really come up with a plausible explanation for what really happened that Labor Day weekend in 1969. And even in a recent interview, Tom Reed gave a detailed account about what he had experienced. I mean, that's how we got this information. But at the end of the interview, he admitted that there are plenty of details that he remembers that he still hasn't talked about publicly. Tom believes that he has a duty to other witnesses and to the government. He refuses to jeopardize the legitimacy of any of the accounts that are on the record. The details he hasn't spoken about are more bizarre than what he's already put out there. And more importantly, he doesn't have a clear memory of these details. They're more fragmented and hazier. Tom said he would very much like to discuss everything that happened to him that night, but at the end of the day, he feels the particular details aren't necessary for everyone to know. What's most important is that this event did happen. That's super interesting to me that there's even more details to this. And I mean, he already gave us some details. There's definitely some beings insect looking beings they said that was on this craft and what's really eerie and creepy is that they had all these children on the craft Mm -hmm. now what would potentially alien beings be doing with a bunch of children on their craft that's the biggest mystery here if this is true which i really have to say out of all the ufo stories out there this is one of them that i feel like has some of the most legitimate testimony to, you know, an eyewitness accounts of, and I really believe the people that are telling their stories about this because I really feel like in order to tell a story like this, like it would have to actually happen to you. Like it would be very hard to make up the things that they said happened to them in the way that it did. And in the way that they described it, if it was completely made up, because there's so many stories out there that are far more detailed, that have far more crazy things happen to them. Even stories that we've talked about of alien abduction. And I'm just kind of like, really? Like it's all kind of cliche and like, you know, very generic and kind of Hollywood alien abduction, you know, stories where, you know, they're doing testing on them and stuff. But this one is very weird because there is those gaps of memory and, they aren't fully able to really describe what happened to them because clearly how, you know, however they were brought there, 
And whatever they did to them while they're on board, they were smart enough to make sure that they didn't really remember, you know, everything that happened to them. Now, I wonder if Tom and the others that witnessed this event, if they went through hypnosis and hypnotic regression sessions, if they would actually be able to remember more. And it sounds like Tom does remember more. It just sounds like it's disturbing memories. So I don't know, man. I wonder what happened to him on, on board that UFO. I feel like Tom has way more details that he could provide the public on, you know, what he experienced because he was actually on board and he was, he saw other humans on there and I'm sure he saw so much more stuff than what's what he's given out to us. But at the same time, I think one of the main reasons for that is, you know, obviously to protect himself because if he leaks out too much information that certain individuals or, you know, government or anything around those lines finds out that, you know, he told, then I would think he'd have a giant target on his back. Wouldn't he, wouldn't you like, yeah, I, I think that's a absolutely valid point. I think probably he doesn't want to put himself in danger. I mean, clearly he witnessed something that is very either disturbing or it's, you know, could cause him to end up dead randomly, you know, cause I mean, people, people do suspiciously die after talking about events like this mm-hmm. and, and UFOs and encounters with aliens and things like that. And just even other paranormal events. So I'm sure part of it is a safety thing. Like he's legitimately worried that if he comes out and says everything that he saw and experienced that perhaps there's, you know, a bullet with his name on it somewhere. And it's very clear that, you know, this event really did happen. I mean, the, the number of eyewitnesses, the actual description of everything. I mean, it checks out with other evidence, photographic and video evidence that we have of UFOs, especially the fact that it was a saucer followed by two spheres of light forming a triangle shape. I mean, we've, we've literally seen things like this before. So to me, this matches up with so many other pieces of evidence and so many other eyewitness testimonies of, of UFO sightings that I really do believe that this event actually happened. And I also believe that there was some type of government agency or military group that was actively trying to cover this event up because clearly something happened that they did not want the rest of the world to know about. And they were willing to do whatever it took in order to keep this on the down low. So the fact that this is all sort of coming out now and maybe more will come out in the years to come really makes me interested and intrigued in this. And maybe we'll find out more. Maybe Tom will eventually come out and say, you know, everything that happened to him, or he's already, you know, been paid a visit by the men in black or something. And they've told him straight up, like, don't you ever come out and say exactly what happened? Cause I mean, at the end of the day, for all we know, this could have been alien beings. It could have been, you know, beings that have been biologically, you know, created by the government or some, you know, covert military group. I mean, who really knows what was going on, but the fact that there was children aboard the ship as well, that's all very disturbing and, and concerning as well. So I don't know, man, this is definitely one of the the most interesting UFO incidents I've, I've ever uh, learned about. That's for sure. But with that being said, I definitely would love to know what you think about this. What are your thoughts? Do you believe this, this happened? What do you think really happened to Tom and the children aboard this ship? I'd be really interested to hear your thoughts on it. We'll go ahead and wrap up today's episode there. Hopefully you enjoyed this episode of the Lights Out podcast. If you did, definitely hit that subscribe button on iTunes and on YouTube and follow us on Spotify. 
Also, if you haven't followed us on social media, we're at Lights Out Cast, so you can get updates there. We got merch coming very soon. We've got some other exciting things coming your way as well. But until next time, lights out, everybody. <laughs>